Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an entertainment podcast, and the research we do may come from semi-unreliable sources. Welcome to Research Rebuttal Podcast. It's a podcast where two stubborn friends prove each other wrong. Each week, one of us will be the researcher, and one of us will be the guesser. I'm Rachel Teichman, and this is Paige Dempster. I am Paige Dempster. And today, we're going to discuss helmets and where do bugs go in the winter. I'll be your guesser today, and Paige will be the researcher. Let's get rebutted. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Paige. On a scale of 1 to 10, how safe would you say you feel right now? Well, to be honest, I'm still a little bit hungover from my birthday. Uh, Oh, that was an insane Zoom party. Yeah, I know it was a whole week ago, but I'm still pretty tired from it. Uh, But other than that, I don't often feel safe. So I'm going to say I I got my helmet on which does help a little bit, so five. Okay. Ah, yes, you know what we're talking about today. We are talking about bike helmets. So in order to know more about bike helmets, we have to know a bit about bikes first. So, you keep saying bike helmets as if it's like a euphemism? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it could be. I sure don't know what it is, though. <laughs> well, let's just start with bikes, Okay. Okay. So what year do you think bikes were made and what country do you think they were made in? Because I don't think you're going to know the inventor. Bicycles. Yeah. Well, they kind of started out as like the big wheel with the little wheel. Okay. And the question is where and when? Yes. Germany or, or Britain. Okay. In in 1804 you're pretty close um the big the big wheel little wheel wasn't actually the first bike oh yeah the first bicycle and this is according to history.com the overall invention of it has several contributors but the quote father of the bicycle was a german baron named carl von dreis i think is how you pronounce it oh and in 1817, he made a wooden 50-pound frame that instead of pedals and brakes, you would have to use your feet to propel yourself forward and stop. Kind of like like how a scooter or skateboard is. Yeah, or like those little bikes for kid balance bikes. Yeah, the little, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But so from there, because first of all, it wasn't very popular, but from there a ton of different inventors improved on his design. Like pedals were added in the 1860s and those bikes with the big wheels and the teeny tiny back wheel, which by the way is called a penny farthing. Wow. Also, by the way, is the most Victorian sounding name ever were invented like 10 to 20 years after that. 
And then by the 1890s, there was a huge bicycle craze spreading all across Europe and America. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking at the History.com article right now, and none of these bicycle goers are wearing helmets. Oh, no. And that's, that's, br- that's breaking the law. That is definitely breaking the law now, but this should also give you a hint for the next question. What year do you think bike helmets as we know it were invented? And what do you think people used before they were invented? I think they were invented around 1940. Mm-hmm. And before that, they probably used, well, they couldn't have used coconuts unless it was for children. Yeah, coconuts are too tiny to stick your head in. Right. Also, so, like, you probably can't use it if you don't live by a place that doesn't have coconuts. Well, maybe they used, like, military helmets. Oh, that's an idea. Uh, but you're wrong. Um, <laughs> okay, so this answer is very distressing to me, by the way. Okay. Because the bike helmet, as we know it, was not invented until 1975. <laughs> And they were made by two companies, which were MSR and Bell Sports, which I think is actually still around. Our parents did not have, probably did not have the bicycle helmet as we knew it. And they survived. They were okay. And the reason for that might be because there was a like lower key version of helmet that was used before the invention of the bike helmet. Yeah. And the origins of this helmet aren't clear, but according to Wikipedia, it was just referred to as the hairnet helmet, (laughs) and it was just like a leather covering you slapped on your head, and for the most part, this was acceptable, but there were two problems with the design. Would you like to guess the problems? Well, first of all, it's much too thin. Yeah, but what about the second problem? Well, maybe since it was made out of leather, when they would be riding their bikes, there would be bears, and the bears would throw you off your bike and eat your helmet. I like the idea of your thought, but unfortunately it is not correct. Uh, Your first one was correct, though. The leather was too thin. It did not shield from impacts very well. Like, if you were to wear this leather hairnet helmet and then, like, crash into something, it was better than nothing, but there was still a good chance you would get injured. Yeah. Yeah, but the second reason is actually because, like, like, spiking can be, like, a very aerobic activity and you'll heat up. Because it was leather and very insulating, it was really easy to overheat. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because this thing covers your whole head and has no holes. Uh, your temperature would shoot up and you would overheat, and that's not good. That is problematic. Yeah, and that's why when they made the modern helmet, they were so good. Because, one, they were made with, like, a super hard polycarbonate plastic shell. Mm-hmm. And they had little ventilation holes so you could more easily regulate your temperature. That's great. Yeah. How many types of bike helmets do you think there are currently? And do you think you can name any? Well, I don't think there are that many types of bike helmets but i know that there are different helmets for different sports like skateboard helmets are designed differently from bike helmets because of the impact zones yeah you're correct so are you asking specifically about bike helmets or about recreational helmets in general i guess i i suppose i'm talking about bike helmets but skate helmets was the exception because that was actually on the list okay so there are bike helmets yep Skate helmets. Yep. 
speed bike helmets. Okay. Bike helmets with like a face shield. <laughs> okay. And bike helmets for children, which are shaped a little bit differently. Yeah, you got some of them right. According to helmets.org. Yeah. Currently, <laughs> currently there are 11 different unique style of helmets for different niches and demographics of bike riders. And they include, but are not limited to, road, commuter, trail, enduro, youth, toddler, aero road, mountain, BMX, chrono, and skate. You've got a few of those in there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not going to go into the description for all of them. If you want to do that, you can look at the source that we have. But something I can tell you is there's the difference between the youth and the toddler helmet. And that is the toddler helmet needs more protection on the back part of the head. I was going to say that. Yeah, you were exactly right. Where the youth helmet's just a smaller version of a road or mountain helmet. Yeah, because you need to have that occipital protection. Yeah, so you don't bang the back of your head and die. I remember having to wear, like, the toddler helmet in preschool. I definitely had the toddler helmet. I had, it was, it was like a Barbie bike, and it, or, uh, no, I think I did have a Barbie bike, but it was a Barbie helmet, and it had matching Barbie knee pads, elbow pads, and wrist pads. Wrist pads? Like, never... wrist guards. Oh, that's very cute. And knee pads. Ah, yes, and knee pads. No ankle I pads. wore the whole getup. It was very cute. <laughs> and I had, and I had like, the Barbie play school skates to go along with it. I bet there are pictures of you in that getup, and you've probably sent them to me. I just can't remember them right now. I do have a picture in that getup. And I think, actually, it was Fisher-Price skates, not play school. Ah. Play school. Play school. I'm going <laughs> to send you the picture, but go on. Ah, thank you. What year and what civilization do you think invented combat helmets? Combat helmets. Yeah, and what do you think they, they were made of? I think they were invented in China. Okay. In the 1400s. Uh, get rebutted. Okay. According, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, helmets are some of the oldest forms of personal protection equipment. And I bet. Yeah, they... Yes, they are. And they have been used since the ancient Sumerians and Arcadians in 2200 BCE. I was way off. Oh, yeah. But do you want to guess what they were made of? They were made of animal skulls. Try again, because you're kind of close. Got the animal part right. Come on. We said it earlier in the episode. Their skin. Yes. They were either made of leather or brass. And I noticed you have sent me a text message. Oh my god! <laughs> so Rachel has sent me a text message of her in her toddler helmet, elbow pads, wrist guards, and knee pads, and Fisher Price rolling skate roller skates. And it is very cute. She's wearing sunglasses, matching sunglasses, <laughs> matching yeah. sunglasses, and pink shorts and shirt with pink flower on it. Basically, my whole body was covered. There was no way you were getting hurt unless by the off chance you somehow landed on your shin, which is the only part of you that is not covered. That's true. And I needed help getting on every single one of these articles. Oh, I can imagine. There's no way a three-year-old could put any of that on by themselves. Yeah, no. Not even the pants. Not even the pants. 
Yeah. Well, it is time for a word from our sponsors. Do you want to wear a helmet but are overly sensitive and don't like the word hell being in any product that you use? Then you need the Heaven Met. The Heaven Met has the same exact design as the HE Double Hockey Sticks Met, but has a name that doesn't mention the resting place of the Dark Lord. Order now at holyheavenmet.net and use code RNR to receive a free Bible with your purchase of $50 or more. The Heaven Met. I'm sorry. Uh, we are back. Did you get your Heaven Met in the mail yet? You know, I said the word hell a few too many times, and God came down and had a word with me and said that I don't deserve the Heaven Met. Uh, well, I'll get you all set with the Heaven Met. I'm it's sorry. Over. It's not It's not over for, yet, for you yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's their tagline. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway... Uh, our next topic might make you a little bit squeamish because we were talking about ants for one of the last few episodes. It's about bugs and where they go in the winter. Where do bugs go in the winter? Well, we are going to find out because like I'm sure some of them must die, but then like how do they start repopulating again and everything in the spring? So let's start with at what temperature do you think bugs start to die from the cold? I think different bugs die at different temperatures. Like, okay. like I think a lot of bugs, if they didn't hibernate, they might die from below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. But then maybe if you brought some tropical bugs to a not tropical climate, they might start to die off at a higher temperature. Yeah. Can you think of any bugs that wouldn't die? In a cold temperature? I think a lot of bugs don't die in a cold temperature. I think they just hibernate or they live underground most of the time. Okay, but there is a, there is like an absolute point where bugs do start to die, but... Is it below 32? Uh, we'll get to that. But obviously, yeah, the answer will vary by species, like you said. But generally, bugs will die when the temperature drops below zero degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. Yeah, which is pretty dang cold. And there are a few exceptions to this. According to FarmersAlmanac.com, there is a bug called the Emerald Ash Borer that can survive up to negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And on the other hand, fleas can begin to die at 37 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. Yeah. You think that when temperatures get this low, they hibernate? I think some do. Okay, what do you think others do? They probably seek warmth. So they might go underground where it's warmer, okay. or they might go into houses and other types of shelters that are climate controlled. You are completely right, but there's also more. Probably some go into trees. All right. Probably some hide under rocks. Uh-huh. Or in caves. Uh-huh. And in the bush. The bush, Australia? The bush. That go to Australia? Well, that's true, too. Some of them probably migrate. But, like, all the way to Australia. From New Jersey? Probably not. No, maybe to, like, North Carolina. Yeah, maybe <laughs> to North North and South Carolina. Probably around yeah. there. Yeah. So, yeah, there are the little a-holes that hole up in your house in the winter. The most part, yes, they do hibernate, or they try to hibernate. But the deal is, 
So say like October, November, when it starts to like get genuinely cold, what they will do, a lot of bugs, is lay their eggs in tree bark or leaf litter or under rocks or whatever the hell's hell else that you said before the cold weather starts to set in and then they will do their damnedest to survive as long as they can but most of them do eventually die like they can't actually hibernate through it but their eggs last and they hatch in the spring which is where all the bugs come from interesting yeah and not all insects do this it's just like a blanket statement for most insects yeah so here's some other stuff that insects do. Migrate. So yeah, butterflies and most other like flying bugs will try to migrate to like more southerly, southern, southerly, southerly, southern, North, North Carolina. They will try to get to North Carolina. We haven't talked about bees yet. Bees. Bees. Bees are my favorite. I love honeybees. Me too. Yeah. What bees will do is they'll hole up in the hive for the winter and then they'll all huddle together in like a little bee ball and they'll like vibrate their wings, which makes the hive slightly warmer. Wow. And yeah, I know. They're really, <laughs> I love bees a lot. I think they're actually kind of cute. And they'll like just survive off the honey they collected until flowers start to grow again. Wow. Here's a particularly terrifying one that I found. <laughs> I'm ready. So in New Zealand, there's a type of cricket called the giant weta, which is about the size of a human hand, like an adult human head. Yes, hold your hand up for the people who can't see. That is the size of a weta cricket. Wow. What will happen is in the winter in New Zealand, it will obviously drop below freezing temperatures and the cricket will freeze. But come spring, it will just thaw out and continue to live <laughs> because apparently their blood has like a biological antifreeze in it, which I think is both amazing and terrifying. That is both amazing and terrifying. <laughs> how, how cool would it be to just have like antifreeze in your blood? That would be amazing. I know. I want it. I want that. Maybe that could be like when people ask you to like pick a superpower, I'm just going to pick like antifreeze blood. Well, didn't Trump say you could inject your blood with antifreeze and it would kill COVID? No, no, he's that was bleach. Oh, I, see. I mean, also incorrect. Don't do either. But like, he, I, he explicitly said bleach. Uh. Regardless, this bug is terrifying. That's all I really had on like bugs in the winter. But this started to make me think about a slightly different topic. Okay. And that is, do you think that bugs feel pain? That's a very philosophical question. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think most bugs probably have nerve endings. All right. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like it's true. Yeah, it's true. And so if they have nerve endings, they probably do feel pain. Now, whether or not their brains process it in the same ways that other animals do, it's probably not exactly the same. But they probably sense that there is something wrong, that there is a danger, that they are being attacked, or just that something is wrong, even if they don't perceive physical pain in exactly the same way that we do. Yeah, uh, so here's the thing. Bugs don't have pain receptors the same way we do. 
they're able, like you said, to sense injuries, but they don't feel pain from their injuries because according to ESCSEC.ca, wow, what a website name, the concept of pain also implies an emotional response. Right. And long story short, insect, brain, insect brains don't really have the neurons to form emotions. Mm-hmm. So a bug can learn to like, say for example have an aversion to electrical shock but like because it like causes injury right but that doesn't technically qualify as pain yeah the lines of science and philosophy and emotion kind of start to blend here right because like say for example let's just say you step on a bumblebee by accident and you move your foot out of the way and you see that the bumblebee is still moving but it's mortally injured Mm. Do you finish the job or do you let it live? See, this gets into like the philosophical. <laughs> Being the person that I am. Yeah, I know you'll probably kill it. Well, not necessarily because at any, I don't want to have any physical contact with an insect or bug. We'll say like you can just like hit it with a fly swatter. I mean, I probably would not. Ah, you have, you have struck my trap card. <laughs> like, there are other, I'm not trying to, like, make a hierarchy of morals and ethics right now. Like, there are other animals that, if I saw them suffering, I, you know, might, I'm, I, I'm not gonna, let's say <laughs> I have a pet. Uh-huh. And my pet is suffering. Uh-huh. And it cannot be treated. I will take it to the vet, and the vet will probably put it down. But what if the pet is like a stick bug? Uh, I would probably let it finish its days. Hmm. So. Uh... This is the episode where our audience breaks out the pitchforks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to read an ex- excerpt from this entomologist named Matan Shalomi. Okay. <laughs> A cousin of mine, I see. (laughs) I had a feeling you would like the name. If you heavily injure an insect, it will most likely die soon, either immediately because it will be unable to escape the predator or slowly from infection or starvation. Ultimately, this crippling will be more of an inconvenience to the insect than a torturous existence. So it has no quote-unquote misery to be put out of, but also no real purpose anymore. If it can't breed anymore, it has no reason to live. (laughs) That's a lot more harsh than what I was going for. This person is looking at it from a completely scientific perspective, might I add. He is an an entomologist. He is a person that studies bugs. Right. I realize how this can clash with other people's morality. (laughs) Right. But from a purely scientific perspective... If you were to accidentally step on a bumblebee and you lift your foot, you see it's still alive, you should finish the job. And that's your opinion. (laughs) That is what this person is saying. Okay. I am the type of person that, like, remember when I accidentally killed that stink bug and I started crying? Or, like, I didn't accidentally, I didn't kill it, but, like, I mortally wounded it. Well, weren't you keeping it as sort of a pet? No, that was a different stink bug. (laughs) That was stinky. Great. He, he liked rum, but okay. <laughs> well, because like 
he came into my life because I had a rum bottle in my room because I am that kind of person. And he just flew in one January morning and he was just hanging out by the rum bottle. He wanted to get into that rum bottle. bottle. He wanted a shot. So yes, I said, you know what? Cheers to you, bro. So I put him in a little cup. I gave him a drop of rum and I let him hang out with me for like a week. <laughs> This is when I was like 22, by the way. Did he drink the rum? Yeah. He wanted it, I assume, because like rum's kind of sweet. Yeah. But no, this was a different stink bug. I was like falling asleep at like three in the morning one time. I felt something land on me. So like I smacked it and I turned the light on and there was like this poor stink bug that I had almost killed. Oh my God. So like, And I felt super bad about it. So and I but I didn't kill it. I just like I took it into the kitchen and I laid it down with like a little lettuce leaf and then I went back to my room and cried about it. Did he smell that? No, he he wasn't like the stinky kind of stinky, you know, just an odorless dying bug. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, but the thing is I am not the person to just scientifically decide it is better off dead and kill it i have i have morals right and emotions and yeah but according to this research it says that we should just put them out of their misery i would make the same argument for uh, a lot of people okay you know if you are suffering and you will never lead a good quality of life again should you euthanize them if they give explicit permission while they were in their right mind, yeah. Oh, what a, what a topic this has become. Listen, I'm just saying, like, if I'm in an accident or something happens and I am losing brain capacity and I will never lead a good quality of life again, just pull the plug. <laughs> but, like, I think once you start to slowly turn to a vegetative state, I feel like someone else gets the right to whether you live or not, you know? Except that right now, in my conscious, well mind, I already know that that's what I want to have done. Are there laws stating that, like, if you explicitly say, yes, pull the plug, if I go into a coma or something, they have to abide by it? Or is it solely, is there a law? You just nodded. Yes, different states have different laws, and it's complicated. But yes, there are laws. Oh, okay. <sighs> my body, my choice. Okay, yeah, you're right. So say, like, we accidentally step on a bungle bumblebee. What if we accidentally step on, like, a mouse or something and it's mm -hmm. morally wounded? A mouse can feel pain. It's been proven. Mm -hmm. Does this change your decision at all? Would you finish the job or let it live? I don't want this mouse to suffer, and I don't want to watch it suffer. But I think... Honestly, I might try to nurse it back to health. I just actually remembered something. Don't worry, I didn't do anything. But remember in junior year, I had to do that report about Kurt Cobain? Yes. So I had to read like a biography about him. And there was a point in his life where he was keeping a pet rat. Okay. And That's a very Kurt Cobain thing to do. Yeah, and I think, like, it was a wild rat, too. But anyway, <laughs> he was walking around his apartment, and he accidentally stepped on the rat. 
mortally wounding it. Oh no. And he stomped the living hell out of it because he didn't want it to suffer. He just stepped on its head until it stopped moving. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know why I picked mouse, but that just reminded me of that antidote. I don't know if I would do that. I think if like the mouse was really about to die, I would mm-hmm. try to make it comfortable and I might feed it some rat poison. Ah, okay. So like euthanize it. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has become very morbid. But let me end it on a slightly more positive note from the ESC SEC article again. From This is the final sentence of the article. So, should we still swap mosquitoes? Probably, but a case could be made that all animals deserve our respect regardless of their ability to feel pain. Even fetuses? Abortion? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Research the Metal Podcast. Let's, let's get out of the rabbit hole while we still can. Yeah, thanks for listening to Research Rebuttal Podcast. Your body is your choice. Vote in your local elections. For the love of God, please. And if you do not have a uterus, maybe you don't get to vote no. Stay the hell out of it. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Research Rebuttal Podcast and on Twitter at Research Rebut with two T's. You can email us topic suggestions at researchrebuttalpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us if you would step on the bee or not. Yeah, tell us <laughs> if you would step on the bee or not, but I also don't care about your views on abortion. Oh, big yikes. I mean, I'm also, I also agree with you. But yes, please tell us what you would do about the bumblebee problem. The bumblebee paradox. The bumblebee paradox. <laughs> And you can like and subscribe to get those notifications. Wait, this isn't YouTube. But you can can still like and subscribe to get a new episode of Research Rebuttal Podcast every Monday, fresh wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm very sorry. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.